Welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast, coming to you from distant shores with your hosts, Jeff and Mob. Welcome to another episode of Tales of Mythic Adventure. I'm Jeff Richard. And I'm Michael O'Brien, also known as Mob. And over in our virtual studio is our producer, Producer Rob. Hello, guys. Hey, Rob, yeah. and we have a special guest on today. Tell him, tell us all about him, Jeff. Well, out in our virtual green room is the only old one himself, Mr. Sandy Peterson. Woohoo! And a gosh awful amount of just awesome stuff. Pretty much, well, the second biggest contributor to Glorantha after Greg Stafford. Mm-hmm. And, and he's in the green room. Well, Can we I bring think, him on in? Yeah, I think we need to bring him up. Well, come on in, Sandy. Okay, cue the applause. <laughs> Hello, all. <laughs> I'm going to have to get some Foley effects because uh, <laughs> applauding at 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I could do it for you, Sandy, but uh, some other people maybe not. So, Sandy... Um, I'm currently coming to you from Melbourne, Australia, and so is producer Rob. Jeff's in Berlin, and whereabouts are you today? I am in, I am near Dallas, Texas, in one of the suburbs named Rockwall, Texas, actually. So called because of the wall made out of rocks, perhaps? It is, in fact. When the first white settlers came here, they, it's kind of a weird story because there was this giant stone wall uh, not in height, but like part buried underground, and it kind of meanders all over the town. Okay, and, okay. and would would dig into their gardens or something. They would unearth parts of it. The it's really it's apparently predates you know the, the Columbus, but there's no other evidences of buildings like this in Texas, and it's pretty clearly man-made because there's like windows in it and stuff and bricks. Oh wow! But it's what is this really. Like? But it's really old. It not only predates, like, Columbus, but it apparently predates humanity in Texas. Oh, uh, wow. It's kind of a Lovecraftian thing. And so for a while, like, New Age people and uh, cryptozoologists and stuff would come, or alien people would come, alien fans would come and try to figure it out. And so finally the people that owned visible parts of the rock wall stopped, like, not letting people onto their ground to see it. Oh, but there's still encouraging a them. courthouse everyone can see. And uh, so it's kind of a mystery that they've sort of tried to not explore too much. Mm. So maybe they will find that there is some natural process that produces um, uh, cinder block walls with windows 60,000 years ago. But it's kind of cool. So there you are. Oh, that's way cool. So, Sandy, when I'm out in uh, Rockwall, Texas, yeah, you think you might show Yeah. Oh, cool. 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 Uh, well... I was going to ask, because I just, uh, a couple of days ago, played your most recent publication, uh, Cthulhu Wars, and was get, yes, yeah, and was going to ask you a little bit about, uh, the making of that project, and then it's, uh, follow up there. So, so tell me how you ended up making this awesome miniatures, end of the world, destroy the world, uh, Cthulhu board game. One of the best, I'll point out, and heaviest games to have been produced in recent time. Yes. Uh, five kilograms of solid muscle. So, um, what happened is that 
Uh, I had been working for two years at a failing iOS um, software company, and uh, then it failed. And so I just, in an attempt to perk it up, I tried to kickstart a iOS game about a strategy game based on Cthulhu, which humiliatingly flopped. And then my partners, like, said I should try a board game, which I was reluctant to because I figured board, like, print is dead, right? Um, but I finally did it. We launched the Kickstarter and it did, and my plan at this time was I, I had accepted a job from a, um, a software firm actually in India to go be their creative, uh, expert. Um, because I, because although Jeff didn't mention, I actually have a pretty solid resume in, uh, digital games, not just, uh, uh, role playing and board games. Oh, oh, such minor little games too. Yes. So, yes. so, so Sandy, you were actually going to go to India. What? You were going actually, to go and live in India. I was going to go live in India for at least a year, right? In Bangalore, actually. Wow. And I was excited to go there. And it was actually a pretty sweet deal. They were giving me a little tiny bit. They were giving me a bit of the company. And we were going to have our own chauffeur and our, you know, all this stuff, right? Basically, they said, don't drive in India. Get a chauffeur. Good advice. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. I've never been there. So we were all, so I, so I was putting together, I put together the Cthulhu Wars Kickstarter and, and what I was doing, I said, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to stop being my own boss, like it was the iOS company. I'm going to, I'm going to go back and work for the man. And that's okay. The man has been good to me over the years. Um, and, uh, and this will be the last project I will ever do that will be like completely my idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I said, this is my one song. I'm going to make it as cool as I can. I don't care about the price. It's going to be like, over the top, it's going to have giant Cthulhu monsters because I've always wanted to have Cthulhu monsters, plastic figures since I was eight years old. That's my dream. And if I'm going to get them, I have to make them myself. So um, I put together the Kickstarter, launched it, and it turned out there was a lot of people like me because my plan was that I would make, oh, I don't know, like a few hundred thousand dollars, enough to set up a little cash cow to help support me while I was in India or, you know, give me a little extra money besides. And instead, it was uh, well over a million and like two days into it, I had to phone the Indians and say, "Hey, uh, I'm, I really apologize. I've already accepted the deal with them. I said I can't, I can't come to India. I have to stay and manage this Kickstarter. I apologize." And uh, instead of being a swan song, as I said before, it became a phoenix, and it kind of rehabilitated my. Uh, I'm now the, the founder of a of an admittedly tiny board game company, Peterson Games. And we have produced, uh, we're now doing other Kickstarters. We've, we, after Cthulhu Wars, we are doing, uh, we did Theomaki. We're just going to Kickstarter for that. And we're about to launch the Kickstarter for Orcs Must Die, the board game, which is a cooperative game based on, uh, which, where I'm working with, uh, Robot Entertainment, who is composed of former coworkers or students of mine. So we have a pretty close size there. And then coming up this fall is the game Jeff cares about, which is the gods, Grantha of the Gods War, which mm-hmm. is a giant, uh, spectacular game like unto Cthulhu Wars, except in Grantha. So and it's so, a game I've wanted to see since I was eight years old. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, can I just interject? Um, Sandy, uh, you can, you can put me down for Orcs Must Die based on the, on, on the name alone. Okay. Yes, because, you notice that not only is it a cool name, but it's undeniably true. <laughs> they do have to die. They do have to die. And the game is you and your characters running around on this board while hordes of orcs and their nasty allies come swarming through the tiles trying to get to your rift and kill your guardian. And you're laying traps, 
and you're shooting them and you're earning you earn your money is skulls. Every time you kill an orc, you get a skull and use that to pay for upgrades. So it's <laughs> I'm, I'm sold. You had me at orcs must die. Yes, okay. I'm actually very happy with leaving video games for uh the board game world because I now have plastic Cthulhu. I have a box right here next to me where I can look over and see the wings of four or five Cthulhu sticking up over the top. I have another box of like 20 Dark Young. I'm in, I'm in paradise here with all these things. And when I get the Odds War figures going, yeah. you know, open up a box and say, look, here's my, here's 16 Yelms. How cool is that, right? Oh, that is, it's hard to top that. So, so Sandy, for the purpose of our audience that are familiar with Cthulhu Wars, yes, how is God's War going to be similar, and how is it going to be different? Okay, so um, God's War is, if you've played Cthulhu Wars, you know that it is pretty much a a knife fight in a back alley. Okay, it's uh, it's very streamlined. It's very nasty. Everyone, it's kind of all about everyone being the biggest, like, jerk they can be to the other players all the time. Which is... Nobody is your friend in Cthulhu Wars. Nobody is your friend. If you have an alliance in Cthulhu Wars, it's because it's like you and Mob saying, hey, let's you and me both attack Robert this turn. That's your alliance. It's never like, don't attack me, let's be fair. That doesn't (laughs) work, right? It's like, let's divide up his territory. Kind of, it's it's it's, it's Russian. And, so, and then we and then we can eat each other up. Then we'll eat each other up. Yes. Okay. God's War is is still underneath it. It's still like the uh, the same concept of everyone for, against everyone, but it's more like a formal duel. Okay. It's more like not more stately exactly, but there's a council phase where you actually have to cooperate. There's times you benefit other players. Uh, uh, there's, there's things that happen in the game that warp the board and change things. The spike explodes and the world starts falling into the rift. And there's, uh, and, uh, it's, uh, the rules, the rules are actually simplified some from Cthulhu Wars in some ways because there's new rules added in the more complicated. And at this time when I play it with my friends, I have about, well, the, 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 the Garantha fans like it more than Cthulhu Wars. And people who don't know uh, either Lovecraft or Glorantha, right now it's about 40% prefer God's War, which is a pretty good percentage when you consider that it's not finished yet. So, wow. but, it, but they say it feels very different. The rules, if you read the rules, there's a lot of similarities. When you play the game, it just doesn't feel, it feels like more elegant than Cthulhu Wars. Like Cthulhu Wars is stripped for action, and God's Wars is... Um, is prepared for action. I don't know how else to put it. You know, it's, uh, well, here, Lincoln, how would you say it? How would you explain the difference? My son Lincoln's here. How would you explain the difference between God's War and Cthulhu War? Hey, Lincoln. Hey, Jeff and everyone. Um, Cthulhu Wars is more like a, like, brawl where people are just beating each other up all the time and, and, like a, a, a brawl in a bar, right? But God's War is more like people are more diplomatic, so it's more like... It's more precise. Yeah, it's more like you're at... There's like, a lot of collateral damage in Cthulhu Wars. Yeah, it's like you're at a poker game talking with people while then, like, you know, trying to get them to, like... It's kind of like a more bluff game, right? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this, so you should trust me or whatever, right? And then, like, you stab them in the back later, right? So, so we've moved from the alley to the bar, and now we're up in the ballroom. 
Yes, yes, exactly. yes. It's more like it's 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 like the difference between um, James Bond playing Baccarat with the evil supervillain he's planning to kill. Okay, That's God's war. Right, and um, Sam Spade beating up some guy in the uh, uh, in his in his office. Right. That makes yeah, sense? that sounds that actually makes a lot of sense. I, I, um, I mean, one of the things that I noticed in playing Cthulhu Wars is it's not possible, at least when you're playing Cthulhu, it's not possible to be too aggressive. You simply, <laughs> however aggressive you're trying to be, it's probably sure. not aggressive enough. You could be pretty aggressive in God's War too, but it's more focused aggression. Yes, and you have to think a little bit more um, in your aggression there's, in God's War. You have to have the right instincts in both games. Yes. Right? Like the, 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 the thug in, uh, like one example of the difference is in Cthulhu Wars, Cthulhu is the bully that beats up on other players. And he, like, essentially attacks just like whoever's nearby gets it. Mm-hmm. Okay? Whereas in God's War, the bully is the storm faction. And, but he actually goes and preferentially picks out big strong guys to attack because, uh, that, that, that's how he proves his courage. Mm. Yes. He's stronger. Uh, Orlanth is, is mightier against mighty foes and weaker against wimpy foes. That's if I recall right. That's an interesting dynamic. Uh, also in, uh, in, in God's War, there are cataclysmic events out of, out yes. of the player's control yes. that yes. Flip, flip things now, around. Are the listeners of this podcast primarily, excuse my ignorance, primarily Glorantham fans? Many are Gloranthan fans, but many I suspect are. many have been brought in simply by Mob's charm. <laughs> okay, yes. Okay. Well, I can't. I can't help the guys who are here who are Mob fans. There's pretty much no hope for them. But uh, but as far well, as the right, we can say that on many levels. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Let, let me uh, make it clear that that God's War is set during the Great Darkness of Glorantha. It actually starts during the lesser darkness and goes through the lesser, the greater darkness and it ends when the sun rises. So you're not going to find moon sun in it or Argrath or any of the characters you know from the third or even the first age of Glorantha. It's all the gods fighting. Okay. And so at the start of the game, there is the spike in the middle of the world holding everything together. And early on in the game, sometimes as early as the first turn, sometimes as late as the fourth, usually second or third, the spike explodes and turns into the Chaos Rift and starts sucking the whole world into it and destroying everything. And then everyone has, except Chaos, obviously, has to kind of... Oh, by the way, everything I said about people cooperating in God's War, let me make it clear that Chaos is never cooperating. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's just always a pain. People will benefit Chaos and give him things to, like, hurt other players, but he's not usually a guy that, all the other players have to have gifts they can give to other people, Chaos doesn't. He's just a taper, right? But, but that's, you know, it's, he's super fun to play, nonetheless. So, uh, so anyway, the, eventually the rift closes, or, you know, things are bad, and then you have, then for the, then every turn, <clears throat> from then on in the council phase, you try to hammer out the great compromise. Mm-hmm. And when, and then finally it's achieved and the game ends and one of you is the winner. Or and rarely. What are the basic, what are the basic factions in the, uh, in the core version of the game? Core game has chaos, darkness, storm, and sky. It starts right at the beginning of the lesser darkness because 
the sun god is in hell. He's just been killed. And the trolls are just about ready to migrate out of hell to the surface world. It's all set to go. He's, the only god on the map actually is, is the sun god. The rest have to be summoned, but he is there in hell. Of course, it's not so easy to get out of hell. No, it, 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 the worst thing about it is having played the sun god is, is you've got to find somebody willing to let you out. Yeah. Yep. So we, and right off there, the sun god starts having to find someone to cooperate with. And yep. he often, now he has bribes to offer you. But, uh, but, uh, and it can go two ways. Either he can pay you ahead of time, hoping you fulfill your part of the deal, or he, or you can do the deal with him, hoping that he'll pay you afterwards. Either way, some element of trust is involved. Well, yep. hence, uh, hence the idea of building the great compromise. That's right. And so at some point in the game, the spike disappears. And I, and I remember when, uh, Jeff and I were lucky enough to have uh, played a playtest version of this at Gen Con last year, and you actually had a, uh, it's like a model uh, spike yes, sitting yes, in the middle of the, the board. There's going to be a 3D spike that when it explodes, everything on it dies, and it flips over, and the other side of it, the underside, is the rift with like, you know, yeah, bangs or, or curvy crackle or something showing everything being devoured. And I found that to be a very cool part of the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, we have the board. You also have Kylerella floating around on the board, which is, I thought, kind of a cool thing. Oh, a, a floating continent. Yes. That could just sort of be in different places. Yes, that that adds an interesting element to, to the game, too. I think, and like in, in like in Cthulhu Wars, the uh, the these figures, especially the figures of the gods, these are are huge, awesome miniatures, aren't they? Yes. In fact, my um, uh, art uh, lead, uh, his eyes, has just determined the the heights for the uh, for the gods, and he is the he has decreed that because Gennert and Pomalt have continents named after them, they're the biggest. Okay. okay. It's Titans. Genner and Pramal are going to be 190 millimeters tall. This is his plan. Holy. What? Holy. Okay. It's 10 millimeters taller than Cthulhu. So we, we can't. And they're not really... scrawny. I mean, Cthulhu is mostly wing. Yeah. So you're, you could be able to kill someone with these figures. Yeah. They're not exactly oh, miniatures anymore, are they, Sandy? No, we they're figures. Really yeah. 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 <laughs> now, those are the biggest figures, the, the, the Titans. But one thing that Yelm's not really tall, but he's like really broad because he's always round, right? He's a sphere. One thing that I want to emphasize to our Glorantha fans out there that have bought the guide and have been buying the uh, the new Moon Design material or fans of the Prince of Sartar uh, book is that uh, Sandy's art director and I have been working very, very closely on the look of these miniatures. Now, these gods are not being depicted as Glaranthans depict the gods, but actually as the manifestations of the divine force. And you, uh, I think yes. many fans yeah. are going to be very... Victor Orlanth as a big barbarian, but it's doubtful he actually looks like that. Yes. So we're, we're going with he doesn't look like that. Also, uh, they, um, my art director... Just so you know, he's been playing in my campaign in Glorantha since 1993. Now, our campaign generally wanders off in the less trampled parts of the world. So he actually knows Slan and Telios in the East East Isles way better than Dragon Pass. But that's kind of an advantage for a game like this. 
Oh yeah, and and the other thing is, is Rich and I have been working on uh, on some of the concept art for what nearly a year now, right, Sandy? Yeah, yeah. We we sent and chaos off to the uh, the sculptors. Oh, fantastic! And I think a lot of people are going to be very pleasantly surprised with how terrifying some of these figures oh, are, like particularly yes. darkness. Yeah. Yeah, and, cat- and I'll oh, say God. how detailed as well. Have you seen any of them, Mob? Has Jeff shown you some? Uh, I think I saw some at Gen Con last year. Ah, oh, no, those were fake. No, no. No, oh. no, no, no. You haven't seen any of them yet, Mob. Oh, okay, so these are going to kick up to a new level, huh? Yes, and they're nothing like the Cthulhu Wars guys. Well, okay, maybe Melia is a little bit, but uh, but like Ragnaglar, the Mad God is like all tatters. He's there's like a there's like a huge horned skull and then like chains reaching down to grip the ground trying to hold him to the ground while his while his his tatter his, his like cloth ribbons fly up into the air. You know, it's wow. like there's all nothing he's all eaten up by chaos. So there's like the air thing in there from Ragnar plus there's the whole chaos theme is hollowness. All the chaos creatures seem to be partly eaten away. In this, because they're mostly gods, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the crews aren't eaten away because that's their minions. But uh, Thed is split right up the middle. Uh, the Melee is like a big mouth with arms around it to, to pull things in. Um, yeah, the, the uh, Kyger leader is this witch-like toad beetle thing on all fours. Oh, she's just creepy. She's just yeah. creepy. Yeah, spawning uh, 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 trolls out of her back like a Suriname toad. Wow. Well, look, I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing these. I mean, I think the Cthulhu Wars figures were amazing, and I understand, Sandy. It was it was quite a process to get them that way. It was, it was it a was, challenge. Yes, it was a challenge. I will say that that um, these the miniatures for God's War are being sculpted by the same guys that sculpted Cthulhu Wars. Mm-hmm. So what, one thing we're doing is each faction in God's War. Um, in a sense, all the Cthulhu Wars monsters are the same faction because they're all like the Lovecraft faction, right? Yeah. But in but in God's War, what we're doing is each faction is being... We're having the art done, the concept art, done by a different artist. So they each have a different feel to them. Oh, I like which, that. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Which is so that, like, like the Sun God faction, faction is very formal and, you know, like, like their hero is a, is a worm, basically, or well, a dragon worm, you know, with wings, with his tail wrapped around a throne, kind of formally posing with, he's still an action pose, right? On the throne, there's like a scepter and crown, and then it's, that's the, and on his head, he has the sun orb, right? So that's the emperor figure, that's their hero. Every faction except the chaos has a hero, right? And, um, then, you know, the, the uh, Yelm himself the is like the sun disc, you know, mm-hmm. with, the, with the corona around it. And it, it's all, you know, the uh, they're, they're, they're like, there's a symmetry and there's, uh, right. And then the chaos is like all wild. And the storm is, is like violence, right? Yeah. All, everything's rearing up or pouncing or plunging from the sky, you know. So it sounds fantastic, Sandy. So the the figures for Cthulhu Wars, some of them actually are in are in several pieces that the uh, the manufacturers then have to put together. That's how complex yes. they are, aren't they? Yes, that's right. Our most expensive piece is um, Shubnigarath, who is twelve separate things that have to be glued together that uh, we have to pay for. 
Wow. But they all glued together when you get it. You, they don't come, like, when you get the game, unless something terrible happened during shipping, it comes in one piece and you're ready to go. Yes, yes. But uh, the, the this just gives you an idea of just how detailed and complex the actual uh, composition of these figures yes. is, and yes. I think that's amazing. And yeah. what's really nice it's about it is easily Google Cthulhu Wars and see a million images of the figures, and they'll get they'll see what we're trying to do here. Uh huh. And these are paintable. Yes, yes. I recommend, however, that if you paint them first, you soak them in warm detergent for about forty five minutes. Because the uh, <coughs> to get them out of the molds, <coughs> the Chinese put a very light coating of grease on them, so they pop out easier, and you'll want to remove the grease to make it easier to paint. But they do paint up very nicely. You'll see lots I've of... Seen, yeah. I've seen a bunch of the Cthulhu Wars painted uh, figures being painted, and they're yeah. gorgeous, but... They're very, uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm expecting even more impressive things with the God's War figures. So, so Sandy, yes. if... Um... They're probably easier to paint, really, because they have... Like it's more obvious what they are. Like where, what, what color are Cthulhu's tentacles? Right, it's kind of a gray area there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if the if the if the biggest miniature or maxiature is uh, 190 millimeters, this is this is going to be a big game, and and it's yeah. it's going to be a heavy game too. I imagine. Uh, yes, we we uh, do have one advantage over uh, Cthulhu Wars in that there's not as many figures per faction. Mm-hmm. Because the way it works in God's War, in Cthulhu Wars there was gates that were neutral anyone could own on the map. And then you'd have your faction of like 16 or so units that would run around trying to capture the gates. Well, in God's War, you have typically a faction has nine units. Uh, usually there's four minions, four mortal minions, a hero, three lesser gods, really spirits or elementals is what they're kind of like. Like for Sun, it's phoenixes, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then one greater god. Um, so, but you also have another footprint because typically you have at least ten buildings and these belong to you. And they they have a combat effect. And it can do things and has special abilities. They don't move, right? But so you have, so you're, so in a sense, in God's War, you have a larger pool of units than Cthulhu Wars because you have ten buildings plus your nine units, which is more than you have in Cthulhu Wars. But you have less units that are giant, like uh, complicated figures, which means that the cost of of God's War, we didn't do this to save cost. Okay, we did it because it was working right for the game. But it does mean the cost will be less, which I think will yeah. be people will like. On the other hand, we have so many expansions for this game and they all have tons of figures and um well not tons, they have you know they're nine each. Actually I take it back, uh uh Scott uh, Earth is more Earth has fourteen, yeah. Because they have to have all the Earth Queens. Yes. So uh the game uh I've I'm I'm excited to think that I've only seen like approximations of what these figures look like. So it sounds oh, very crude. exciting. Mob, you have seen crude <laughs> approximations. Uh, so what, what you've seen, Mob, is that we went out and we bought figures at a game store that we thought had the right spirit for, for uh-huh. God's War. Right? So, for example, the phoenixes that we that you saw are actually eagles from a Lord of the Rings miniature set. Ah, I see. I see. But I, I did wonder the, why they had little the hobbits on the back of them. have a disc on their head. They're plunging from the sky. They're actually, support, they're actually the thing that's attached to the base is their tail feathers. As they're plunging now with their claws ready to grab you. So they aren't just cruising around. 
They're like attacking as they dive because that's how they work in the game. They're right. actually, yeah, they're, they plunk, they, like, you don't have them on the map. You summon them. Actually, you have Sun Spear is one of your gifts. We call them gifts instead of spell books. Mm-hmm. In Cthulhu Wars, they're called spell books. In, in God's War, you have hero quests that then give you gifts. And so one of the gifts Sun has or Sky has is Sun Spear where they target a unit and try to blast it. And if they successfully blast it, they get, they get a free Phoenix in the area. And then the Phoenix is a monster that can walk around and fight and stuff. So it's very obnoxious for the, uh, Oh yeah. The idea is that during the God time, the the Sun Spear was a little more personified. Yeah. Right. So Sandy, what is, uh, the ETA for when this game is going to come out? We are going to launch the Kickstarter campaign for God's War as soon as we have completely finished fulfilling the Cthulhu Wars Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And that is going to happen this summer. Now, the Chinese manufacturers who are working on it as we speak have have told us up to now and currently that they they are ahead of schedule, which makes us hope for early summer. But we have had bad news before from China, so it is different... It is a different group than we did the core game with. Mm-hmm. Um, though we're using the you're same. You're not going to hit those sorts of delays. You're hoping. I'm hoping we will have an entirely new set of problems with these guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's but, uh, it's sort of an interesting thing about how we make games nowadays. Is that you know we you you know you don't have a crew there in Texas making the miniatures because you. Nope couldn't afford to do that so uh you know it's something that i think a lot of people don't really fully understand is is how complicated the logistics are to assemble um a game like cthulhu wars well sure let's let's take cthulhu wars let's say okay in our mob are you're of course a notorious cheapskate do you have a copy did you were you a backer for cthulhu wars i actually was not sandy i have Uh to say okay robert how about you uh, no, I, I hadn't heard uh, I'd heard about that until um, okay. uh, this podcast. You've heard about it, so you're forgiven. Okay, so um, but you've seen the figures. Yes. Thulu figure into Jeff Richards' hand. Yeah. What happened was at first I had to go to my artist and say do concept art of of Cthulhu, and then I had to approve it until and it took more than one try, right? Until I had one I liked. Then we sent the concept art to England, actually to. Uh, uh, Fenris Studios, who are the sculptors, who are actually hire the freelance sculptors to do the sculpting, and then they would show us work in progress, and we would approve it or say, no, no, he's changed this. And then finally he would get a figure that, that we liked, and he would send us a resin master of it. Then we would – actually, two of them. Then we kept one for, for showing off at conventions, and we shipped the other to China, and uh, after finding – and then the Chinese make a uh, – uh, a, a, uh, a new sculpt of it with a silicon mold. Then they make a porcelain master, which they tuck away somewhere where it's safe. Then the porcelain master is used to make the metal mold. Then it's assembled there. They collate the game, and then it goes to a fulfillment house. In the fulfillment house, it's shipped to, like, warehouses all over the world. And from there, it finally goes to the post office to people. And then two years later, then I finally have people whining about how they didn't get their game because they forgot to fill out their pledge manager. <laughs> but, but on the other hand, uh, in this new era, Sandy, with Kickstarter, you do actually get some seed money to build the game to start with. And yes. oh, I'm not complaining. Yeah. Because I never, ever have done Cthulhu Wars without crowdfunding. 
It is oh, no way. Completely impossible to get anyone to, to do this game. Yeah, the I think the other really exciting thing about building games these days is with things like crowdsourcing, you can actually produce an extremely polished finished product. You don't have to do like a prototype version or a a version that you'll then arc up in the second edition. Right. The other advantage is that now with the communication things we have available to us, like all I have to do is find – well, this kind of goes back – back when I was working on Doom with id Software, Okay. Mm-hmm. Our theory was that Doom would not be that we thought Doom would do okay financially. And um, one of the things we liked playing on Doom was the head-to-head mode, where you know the death match. Yep. Okay. We thought this would be massively unpopular online; that nobody would ever play death match. But we put it <laughs> in the game just because we liked it. We thought there might be a few other guys like us that like it. Okay. So of course, this is what ninety-five percent of the games of Doom were, right? Death match. Yes. So. But so, but what what I discovered is like, okay, if I have some, is like always, there's always a tendency for game companies to homogenize their games and make them appeal to the greatest possible audience. Yep. Kind of the way that that apples in the United States were in the '60s were all red or golden delicious because they didn't offend anybody, but no one liked them. Yes. Right. Okay. But I found out that if you actually have a quirky, unusual idea, that even though that there's enough other people that are weird like you, they will like it. So I don't know how many people want to have a game with giant plastic figures of Cthulhu's, but there was enough to fund my Kickstarter and more. You know, so I don't have to homogenize it and make it appeal to the greatest number. I can say, hey, fans, look, this I'm doing this game because I'm a fan of it, and so these people that I'm doing it for, I, I, I'm I'm trying to please myself, but they like it too because they have they share my 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 psychosis, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, of course the same thing is going to happen with uh, God's War as well. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, I've got I've got two audiences for God's or three audiences for God's War. One is for people that really like Cthulhu Wars and they want to see a fantasy myth version of it. One is for Glorantha fans who have been waiting for a Glorantha board game for like how long, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Almost forty oh, years. Forty years. Okay. And the and the the third is people who like aren't into Lovecraft, which there's some, but but who want to see a cool fantasy strategy game that's like not based off uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Warhammer. And so look, we got one, you know. And it's a reasonably fast movie. I will say, God's War is not as fast to play as Cthulhu Wars because of the extra negotiation time. But it's pretty close. It's about it's like. Cool War is about ninety minutes for four players, and God's War is about two hours. Oh, see, gee, Sandy, I've I've had every time the opposite experience. I've had uh, uh, God's okay, War. But that's because take... your, gaming group, your gaming group adds a lengthy recriminations phase after each turn. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what we find, what we found was, is that God's War takes about ninety minutes to two hours, and Cthulhu Wars always takes over two hours to play through. Wow. Yeah, we find Cthulhu Wars. We they, people spend uh, uh, much uh, much more time agonizing about how how much trouble are they going to get in if they screw over this person and they need to screw them over. So they're going to do it anyways. But they spend a lot of time I, I agonizing. If it's a thing or if it's a German thing, and the Americans just kind of go in and take their take their lumps, you know. <laughs> 
I found, uh, well, okay, well, okay. Maybe they're going to be comparable in length for you guys then. But, uh, it is easier to have, a, to have a buddy in, uh, in, uh, God's War. It's true. Because in Cthulhu, in God's War, you know that some guys probably aren't going to attack you or you can maybe talk them out of it. In Cthulhu Wars, like, everyone is a predator. Everybody yeah. is. Like, and, and there's no, there's no herbivores. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they're all looking for flesh. Say it. Well, <laughs> so I got a, 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 a question here about the psychosis of yours. How did you get into Glorantha in the first place? Well, um, I came by it honestly uh, back in the 70s when I saw a copy of the board game White Bear Red Moon. Bought so it? You got it. You got into Glorantha through the board game. The very first Glorantha thing ever done. This is before RuneQuest. This is before RuneQuest. In fact, I, I, I bought White Bear Red Moon, then I bought Nomad Gods. Hey, look, it's in the same world. I actually used then, but here's the thing of this. I took the cool map for Dragon Pass, which, of course, like, there's no explanation of any of the cool things on it, right? Mm-hmm. What are these ruins? What's going on here? So I used it as the basis for a D&D campaign. Uh-huh. I was already trying to roleplay in Glorantha. Then RuneQuest comes out. I'm in the game store looking through the products, and I say, hey, this role-playing game is based in Glorantha. How cool is that? So I bought that, right? So I can't, so I, but I'd already been trying to role-play in the world. So that's where it came about. Then, uh, then of course, I, um, contacted Greg about, um, some game ideas I'd had. I was triggered to do that by Steve Marsh. He said, yeah, call Greg. So I told him I have these cool ideas. I have a book of monsters. He published my book of monsters. In which I put Cthulhu Monsters, which eventually became Call of Cthulhu. And, uh, <clears throat> then I started writing more. Basically, once I started playing RuneQuest, at the start of the year, I played D&D about, I mean, I was playing D&D. I brought in RuneQuest, I said, look, it's a new game. We would always bring in new role-playing games. And what would happen, we'd, we'd play D&D half the time, the new game about half the time. Then, after a few months, the new game would go away and we'd be back in D&D. So, but with, but with RuneQuest, we played, again, D&D half the time, RuneQuest half the time. But by the end of the year, we were only playing RuneQuest. Ah. So so we're, we're going back to what? Say, would this be the late 70s at this point? See, 78 was RuneQuest 2, which I bought. Mm-hmm. And um, then in 1979, I went on my honeymoon, and I took a copy of Ballister's Barracks along with me. As one does. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you, right? And, uh, of course. And, but I remember doing that specifically, and then the next year I was writing uh, Call of Cthulhu for them, and then I, came, I went to Davis, California to go to graduate school, and to support myself in college, I got a job typesetting for Chaosium, because I had an in with them. And then my my avocation became my vocation, and I dropped out of graduate school, and I became a game designer for better or worse, and uh, then spent, like, all my waking hours for eight, or like, well, maybe not eight years, but like... Yeah, seven or eight years, um, like making plans for Grantha or Call of Cthulhu with uh, with Greg, or in the case of Call of Cthulhu myself, right? But wow, so it, you go all the way back to uh, so what were some of the earliest things that you typeset, Sandy? Oh, okay. Well, let's see. Um, I, I was there post Cults of Prax, mm-hmm. so I typeset that. But I did I did typeset uh, Ringworld, and uh-huh. uh, um, and uh, that that was an excellent and also extremely heavy game of its time, wasn't it? Pretty much everything from 1981 
1988 was typeset by me. Unless wow. it's in a house like, like Avalon Hill publisher. You know, I think that is, that's something that's probably not very well known, and I think we've got a exclusive scoop here on Tales of the I, I did, Adventure. I didn't even know that. I was before. notorious for editing as I typed stuff. <laughs> I would add in things. I'd add paragraphs or whole sections. So just these four sections. For him. So, well, and, and, and of, the, of the notable stuff that you did on the Glorantha side, you, you did Troll Pack pretty much in its entirety, right? It was Greg wrote the myth. Yes, Greg wrote. Okay, you know the little boxed articles in the side in Troll Pack mm-hmm. about the, about what the troll ate before he starved to death and uh, things like that. That was most. Well, I wrote the troll digestive tract, but he wrote a lot of those little things up to the side, and then he wrote the myth. And then, yeah, I would roll all the stuff that was basically my job was to make Greg's ravings um, coherent for a game or a campaign. Oh, that's and kind of what you do. His job was to have really awesome ravings, right? Sorry? Oh, I was just going to say, that's kind of what Jeff does now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm sure it's not exactly the same relationship. But so Greg would say, I would go to Greg and i say, hey, Greg, we need to have something going on here in, um, uh, like, what's happening in, in uh, this whole land doesn't have a name. We need to give it a name and know what's happening there. And he would, like, he would pontificate, and then he would say, oh, and everyone that goes there dies. And i say, Greg, it's cool that everyone goes there dies, except for the fact that then it's useless for playing RuneQuest then, because no one right. <laughs> So we gotta have, that can't be how it works. And, um, that we discuss how, how it works and, you know, why everyone that goes there dies or doesn't. And it was, you know, we'd, we'd hammer things out and work out mystery. And so often what would happen is that we'd be planning out something on the far corners of the world and suddenly I would realize one of my talents was for Greg's talent. When Greg had a open, had a hole, his impulse is always to make us something new to fill it. Okay, and my impulse was always to go back over the entire spectrum of what we'd invented and find something that fit. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so uh, his approach was like probably too random, and my approach was probably too like closed buttoned, like organized, mm-hmm. right? But the combination of them worked really well. Where yeah. I w- where he would say, well, why don't we have this new thing? But it also ties into you know, the Urimal cult or something, and it would all make sense. So that's kind of how we worked. And you also, of course, had the opportunity to to, to fix it. You also had the opportunity to fix it in post anyway because you were doing the typesetting. Well, yes, I didn't didn't actually have the the nerve to contradict anything Greg said in typesetting, but sometimes I I would clarify things. Good. So um, you also did uh, Durasta as well. Yes. Well, what happened with Duraster is that there was a um, there was a bunch of stuff put together by Ken Coffer for his campaign in Duraster, which was like the most terrifying thing to go into ever. And um, was that the book Snake Pie Polo that was produced? I don't know. You? No. Okay. Snake Pie Polo is poor my time. Um, not basically th- those those really old books that had the crappy covers that were like paper yep. covers, right? Yep. Not glossy. Those were before me. Right. Okay. So the I introduction of to... real covers is the introduction of Sandy. Yes. Yeah. See the connection there. Right. Yeah. The last, probably the last product that I didn't work on was Cults of Prax. Uh huh. Which had a paper cover. I was there. I did Cults of Terror. I did. I didn't do a from Mountain. Take it back. Didn't. But I. But like Borderlands was all me. Mm-hmm. 
like I, I wrote this, my scenarios in Borderlands, I wrote them kind of while I was typesetting, right? I mean, I mean, I had, I had plans for them and sketches, but maybe I shouldn't have bitten that. Anyway, um, <laughs> talking about back to Durasta. Oh, Durasta, yes. So, so basically, Ken had a map of Durasta, had a couple of contradictory maps, which makes sense for Durasta anyway. And, uh, and then he had a whole bunch of really terrifying monsters. So my job was to turn the terrifying, was to add more, like, backstory to Durastor and what was going on in places. He just had a thing and said, here's here's the Kajaki Fort, the Kajaki Woods. And I was like, okay, what's happening there? And we had to figure it out. And uh I had to figure it out is what it boiled down to. And then um um I had to work out the uh uh like make the stats all make sense according to the how RuneQuest worked and it was you know I had to make up adventures in Durastor. I mean, I'm not complaining. It was, it was fun. So, I mean, uh, I, the, the focus on Ralzakark was actually not mine. I thought Ralzakark was a cool guy there, but I viewed him more as a person that you would go and, and like you, if you were one of the lunar traders that goes across the raster, you'd stop at his house overnight mm-hmm. and he would actually protect the caravans. So he wasn't someone you'd fight. There's plenty of things to fight. Don't get me wrong. There's there certainly is in, in Durasta. There's everything to fight in Durasta. Oh, and here's something. I don't know if this has ever been said, but the but the mighty brew leader in um, Cults of Terror that is finally killed in hand to hand combat uh-huh. at the end of this thing, it's not Ralzakark. Oh. Ralzakark isn't behind what's going on in the Cults of Terror. Greg has confirmed that with me. Now it was a major Durasta plot, and it was a serious threat. To all the, to the lands around, and it needed to be stopped, but it, it just wasn't Ralzakark, so there. This is the, uh, this is the narrative. Have a plan like that. What? This is the narrative. This is the Haldrim Swarm era there. Narrative yeah. sequence. Yeah, well, Haldrim, yeah. Where they actually say the guy's Ralzakark, but he's not. Because almost everything this... in Raster is a lie, right? Now, I'm not saying Ralzakark's not a bad guy who wouldn't cause all kinds of disasters someday. That particular plot wasn't him. That's how terrible Raster is, that this secondary guy is able to almost overthrow all the neighboring lands. Yeah, and we know that it's not Ralzakark thinking about it because he got defeated in, yes. in the narrative. Yeah, Ralzakark... He gets killed twice! Yeah. Because, of course, Ralzakark's cults, if you were unaware, are Humacht and um, Shlana Roy. Yeah, because he's got the healers, he's got a uh, life and death. All of his crews are Shlana Roy Humacht cultists. Because they're illuminated, of course, and so they don't care about spirits of uh, retribution. So those, that's a good matchup for him. What a nice place that is. <laughs> it, <laughs> it is a wonderful place. No, well, they they all, there's a lot of they all reusable description of Sever Spirit, according to the request rules. <laughs> there, there's this other game that you mentioned that you were involved in uh, during the Chaosium period that, that uh, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't ask a little bit about, and that's uh, Call of Cthulhu. Now, that was one, that was one that, um, you came up with that and then presented the idea to Chaosium, didn't you? Uh, what was the origins? Sort of. What happened is that I was kind of getting into RuneQuest and I, um, had played a, 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 a role-playing game that I'd invented called American Gothic, which is about like ghost stories and stuff. And I said, hey, you know what would be cool in the RuneQuest universe? The Dreamlands. Lovecraft Dreamlands. It's sort of like a fantasy world. And RuneQuest had never had a world to play in besides Glorantha, but I thought maybe it would work. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought the system was pretty flexible. So I, so I, I said, hey, how about me doing a, 
uh, merging my two loves of RuneQuest and Lovecraft and having a Dreamlance thing. And they said, well, we aren't really interested because we have someone actually in Texas, of all places, working on a a contemporary Lovecraft role-playing game. And I said, oh, my gosh, I love Lovecraft. He's my hero. And I, I, you know, can I, can I proofread it? Can I look at it? Together? Like, can I make suggestions? I just want to, I just wanted to be involved or at least see the stuff in some way. And Greg wrote back and said, well, this guy's <coughs> kind of slow and we don't like everything he's done. So why don't you just take the whole project? I found out later on what happened is Lynn Willis said, this other guy's not working out. Here's Sandy Peterson, who's a giant fan of Lovecraft and he's never missed a deadline. Let's have him do it. So they gave me, they actually came up with the idea. I, I came up with the idea of doing Lovecraft and role playing, but they had already come up with it in parallel. And then they wanted to have Lovecraft like be contemporary, which was, you know, then everything came from there. And, and the sanity point mechanism, which is the very, I mean, my absolute favorite thing about, uh, uh, Call of Cthulhu is, you know, you are going to go insane if you just keep playing this. <laughs> it's a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. Was was that something that you had an early idea for, or is that something that just was this well, flash happened, of inspiration? I have, no, I wanted to have. Well, I'm more of a syncretic um, creative guy. What happened is that I was trying to. I was working on Call of Cthulhu, and I was trying to come up with some way that seeing the monsters made players react like they do in the stories, which is. They don't pull out their guns and start firing. They freak out. They go insane. They faint, right? They're not super manly men all the time. So I was pondering this, and um, and I came across an article in Sorcerer's Apprentice magazine where they suggested that people have like a – I forget what it was called, but it was like a stability point or a mental thing, and that they had to make a saving throw against it <coughs> when they saw a really bad monster, and if they failed it, if they critically failed it, they would lose a point off this stat. And, uh, I said, aha, there's a, there's, there's something in this I can steal and modify and make work for, uh, uh, for Call of Cthulhu. And that's, that's, that was kind of the trigger that created sanity. It's a, it's a great stat because unlike other games at the time, which were all about going up levels and becoming more and more powerful. Yes. Uh, in Call of Cthulhu, uh, it's more you whistle your way down, isn't it? <laughs> Call of Cthulhu is absolutely a contrarian role-playing game. You <laughs> oh, it's the most powerful. You get less powerful. You're not mighty guys better than the average person. You are. You start out as an average person and you get worse, right? <laughs> you can't beat up on the small puny monsters that you start with because every monster is the weakest monster in the game is a cultist, right? Which, by definition, is as good as you are. Yeah. And better organized. <laughs> so, and mad. Oh, yeah, and mad. I, mean, I, I, I found Call of Cthulhu to be this just unbelievably liberating game where I, you suddenly realize, wait, you know, we can play a game where we go try to deal with the monsters and lose spectacularly and have a wonderful time doing it because it's all... Well, I had to do all these things. Right? Like, for example, early on I said, well, combat can't be the focus of the game. And combat is the focus of every other role-playing game at the time. So what do we do instead? Well, I guess investigate. So it's like combat is almost like something terrible went wrong, you know, or it's the climax of the scenario. So it was all done. And then I, But as I was doing it, I started consciously 
Well, I didn't even the the concept contrarian didn't exist yet, but I, that's what I was doing because I said, you know what? There's lots of games where people can go and beef up their mighty warrior or their great sorceress and get stronger and stronger and kill everything. Maybe there's room for for a different kind of game. I you know? remember. I, I remember the first time I ever gamed with you, Sandy, you ran uh, Call of Cthulhu for Greg and I. And it was also so eye-opening because there was this bit where briefly the combat rules got came out. And and you feigned you couldn't even remember um, some part of it because it was so irrelevant. You're like, yeah, 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 whatever. You, 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 you kill it. It doesn't matter. And it was just such a hit to blow the dust off that chapter. They're like, okay, that part's done. Let's move on. <laughs> and it was, it was so, you know, so wonderful as a, as a, as a young gamer to suddenly realize, wow, you know, the, the, the in this game, it, it's possible to have a, an awesome, fun, uh, role playing game and the combat is completely irrelevant to what goes on here. And we all died. We died horrible. We were torn <laughs> well, I wouldn't say the combat in Call of Duty was always completely irrelevant. Sometimes it matters. You know, it, it does. But it matters in a very different way than in RuneQuest or, or D&D. You know, uh, we are getting very close to the end of our, our podcast. And uh, I, I, I need to go into our MGF questions. But traditionally, <coughs> cool, cool. before I do that, our producer always comes in with a final question. So I'm going to throw to Rob. Um, okay. I've, I've got to say, guys, um, you've done a remarkable job of anticipating all of my questions. But um, I, I do have a couple of observations. Um, one is, I think, the, the Cthulhu Miniatures Murder Mystery. Um, somebody has to write that. Um, <laughs> secondly, the, um, that, that comment you made about uh, you like a closed game and Greg Stafford likes a more open game, uh, that reminds me of when Marla uh, met Sibelius back in the, the early 20th century and they were having a discussion and Sibelius said that when he did a symphony... Everything in the symphony had to be in the first movement and nothing new could be introduced. And Mahler said, no, a symphony is like life. And in life, new things happen, so new things can be introduced. So I just think uh, you're obviously more of a uh, Sibelius person, uh, Sandy. And <laughs> I do... I will say that I think the, the, the combination of us two was really good for Grantler. And yeah. I, I do have one question, which is that... Look, you've, you've been a games designer... Um, well, since I was uh, 15, um, when, you're, when you're thinking about a game, do you come up with, with an algorithm for the rules or do you come up with, with a, an idea for a game? I mean, how, how does it work? Which, which comes first? Because there's obviously amazing mechanics involved in moving around the board. Well, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Unusually, I think among game designers, I go with the theme first. So when I was developing Cthulhu Wars... I didn't figure out, like, the rules. I had rules to, uh, to base it on. When I was working out what their their abilities are going to be, I was like, what would Shubnigarath be able to do? And I gave her those abilities. And uh, and th- then uh, during the course of massive playtests, I would I would balance the abilities and keep them with each other, but she still kept those abilities. Hmm. So I go with the theme, and that way I ended up with Cthulhu Wars being, like, heavy in theme. One of the things I don't like is a game that has a paste-on theme. Yeah. You know, it says, oh, this is really about revolution, but it's not because it's just a game about worker placement, you know, with a revolution 
picture oh, on the yeah computer. so you've got a sort of a mathematical algorithm and you build a game around it or something yes so maybe that means that me and reiner kinesia would make a really interesting combination because we work from opposite ends like Mahler and sibelius <laughs> yes could be with me working with reiner kinesia because he's the one that has the the mathematical stuff but <laughs> all right sandy years ago we, we need to we need to uh, wind up with our maximum game fund uh, rules questions unless Jeff you've got something you want to throw in. Oh, I think it's time to do our MGF questions. Okay, we we do this with all our guests, Sandy, and um, the MGF rules were very simple, and it was just a case of asking what you were better or worse than 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 the average person. So I'm going to say, if you're a gamer, Sandy, what? What's one thing that you do better than the the average gamer? Think on the fly. Uh-huh. I have so much experience with with people at conventions or in my own group who know me really well coming up with stuff to surprise me, and I have to quick think up something that seems to make sense and hopefully tricks them into believing that I that I had it ready instead of I just put it up. That was all ready for you, and and you've been playing in a very long standing campaign for in, in Glorantha, haven't you, with a with a group of players going back a long time. Yes. Um uh, yes. So, <laughs> so, so it must it must you really must be campaigns. pretty good at tricking them then if uh, if they've been with you for, for so many years. Well I think to some I think they're off and on to me now, but I'm so but I'm so good at making them up making up the things, even if they know that I probably made it up, they're kind of okay with it because they like it anyway. And sometimes I do still fool them, so they think, wow, you had this all planned. I said, uh, sure. It wasn't from a cocktail napkin that I wrote things on this morning. <laughs> so, so what's, what's one thing that you say then do, uh, worse than the average game? I am really terrible at being a player in a role playing game because I hardly ever get to do it. I have almost no practice. Um, almost every time I'm, there's a role playing event up, then I have to run it because I'm the famous Sandy Peterson. I probably authored the game we're running, right? <laughs> okay. So, so when, so I have to run the game. And so when I am, uh, playing as a player and I think about things the wrong way, I focus on the wrong stuff. I like do things to help the monsters just out of instinct <laughs> to set up puzzles for other players, right? It's just, I'm just, I'm not a good party member. So, um, you are you are the the famous Sandy Peterson. And what's what's something that everybody knows about you as a gamer? Um, that I have a huge oil painting of Cthulhu on my living room wall, where other <laughs> people would have a black velvet uh, Elvis or a seascape. I guess technically my Cthulhu image is a seascape. <laughs> it just has Cthulhu in it. So uh, really, is in the background. It's very nice by Tom Sullivan. It's like three feet long by two feet wide. It's quite, it's quite big. Wow. I used, I used the buyout money from, uh, Microsoft, part of it to pay for the, the painting. What else would you spend your money on from, uh, from Microsoft? Some people would buy a castle. Some get one, right? So, um, I'm now going to ask you what's something that uh, people don't know about you as a gamer, and, and you can't say I did all the typesetting for the <laughs> early, the early uh, um, Chaosium stuff because we found that out earlier in the episode. 
I'm a faith, I'm a, I'm a faithful church going Mormon who served a two year mission in Los Angeles in his youth. I, I knew, I knew that you were a Mormon. I didn't know that you did your, uh, your mission time in, in I Los did. Angeles. Wow. Yes. And my wife's Los Angeles counts as a foreign land? Um, have you been there? <laughs> <laughs> True enough. Point, point scored there, Sandy. So um, that, that, that sounds really interesting, Sandy, because presumably there are Mormons in Los Angeles who must go to maybe where you came from to do theirs. <laughs> yes, and then they're like, you did Doom? Wait, <laughs> you did Cthulhu Wars? I said, yes, and I still go to church. And uh, some of them think it's cool and ask if they can get the game at a discount, and some of them are like kind of puzzled because it's not normal. You know, and the other Mormons are hanging out and they're talking about like, Football games, college football games and stuff. I, I, I have nothing to add, right? Uh huh. And no one else ever seems to bring up the topic of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a good thing. Well, you that, that, that's not just a problem that Mormons have, Sandy. You know, a lot of us. I I, I'm a data analyst, and Cthulhu doesn't come up all that much. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Well, Sandy, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you we are very excited about uh your new game that's going to come out uh this summer with a bit of luck it's going to and, be and a quick question there uh a quick final question when's the next chance that people are going to have to go to a convention uh and check out the prototype of god's war and it'll be there at gen con and then it'll be at gen con and then it will be at uh Mini Kraken, and then it will be at Essen. So lots of chances. Lots of opportunities. Yeah. We may even have actual figures at Essen, which would be cool. So, Wow. I cannot wait to see the one. We're also, of course, going to be showing off Orcs Must Die (laughs) and the Clue Wars expansions. So we have lots of stuff to show. Fantastic. Well, Sandy, it has been a great pleasure speaking to you. Um, we'd love to speak to you again at, uh, at a later point, maybe when the game is out and you can, you can tell us more about it and hold the figures up to the microphone so everyone can, can hear them. Uh, so, uh, thank you very much. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. And that was Tales of Mythic Adventure with me, Michael O'Brien and, and with me, Jeff Richard. And with me, Robert Love. Okay, thank you very much. Goodbye. And that concludes another tale of Mythic Adventure, coming to you via download at mythicadventure.com and on iTunes. This was a Rabbit Hat production in association with Moon Design Publications. No ducks were harmed in the production of this podcast, although several trollkin were left out in the sun too long.